But see, this is the wickedness of jealousy. Jealousy is not thankful for what I have. Jealousy resents what others have that I don't. Jealousy doesn't recognize God's grace in my life. Jealousy resents God's grace in other people's lives. Thank you for joining us here today on Live in the Light. Now, Live in the Light is a radio program. That's pretty obvious, but it's one that's meant to go verse by verse through the pages of Scripture because we believe here at Live in the Light that God brings about radical transformation through the revelation of His Word. And we're praying that God does that today in all of us as we continue on in our series looking at the life of David. And today we pick up the story of David's life right after Goliath has been defeated. Success is a big test upon the heart of the believer, and Pastor Robbie explains more in today's teaching. And of course, his own father would be the exact opposite. Oh, to be a friend like Jonathan, so beautiful, so rare. Oh, to have friends like Jonathan, so beautiful and so rare. Heart number one is Jonathan. Heart number two now is Saul. So one heart handles David's success wonderfully. The other heart now handles it disastrously. Look at verses eight and nine. So the women say their their sentence there. And Saul now, verse eight, was very angry and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can we have but the kingdom? What more can he have but the kingdom? And look at verse nine. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Now, I want you, and we'll get to this in a second, but I want you to notice here, David was successful in the Lord. And because of his success, this brought one of his greatest trials he would ever face. I mean, the jealousy of Saul, the sovereignty of God, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. It's just amazing. It's all happening though. God's plan, God, God, God's allowing this. But let's turn, we have to take a few moments here. Let's learn about the heart of jealousy and its devastation from the life of Saul. Three lessons we're gonna put on behind me, beside me, okay? I want you to see this about jealousy. Number one, if unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. If left unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. Notice in verse seven that Saul was unable to rejoice in his own fruitfulness. So the ladies were like, Saul and his thousands, David and his 10,000. Last time I checked, thousands is pretty good, right? I mean, thousands is a lot. Saul, man, you've been used. Like God, God's used you, military leader, the king of God's people, a thousands, you know, under your leadership. Like God's, that's pretty great. But see, this is the wickedness of jealousy. Jealousy is not thankful for what I have. Jealousy resents what others have that I don't. Wicked, okay? Jealousy doesn't recognize God's grace in my life. Jealousy resents God's grace in other people's lives. And then in verse nine, and Saul eyed David from that day on. See, Saul's heart is unable to handle this test And because he's unable to handle it, he becomes consumed with his own sin. Oh, loved ones, run from this blackened heart. Has this come upon you? Are you filled with envy right now? See, jealousy and envy is one of the most terrible sins because it acts as a poison that starts to eat us from the inside out. Some of you are like, you got a verse for that? I'm like, yes, I do. 
Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, uh, but envy makes the bones rot. Here, envy makes the bones rot. Frederick Buchner uh, defined envy as this. Envy is the consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. So jealousy is misery, and misery likes company, doesn't it? These are the great tests. These, you know, the unregenerate heart is only further hardened by their sin. The regenerate, truly saved person in Jesus Christ, you should be broken in your sin right now. There should be a brokenness developing over the reality of how we grieve the Lord with our jealousy. And this leads us into lesson number two. It's this, my jealousy is ultimately against God. My jealousy is ultimately against God. So look at verse 10 now. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he was raged within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but Saul had departed or, um, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him for all the people of Israel and Judah loved David. And he came out and went out before them. Now notice here that uh, the jealousy of Saul is driving him mad. Notice, jealousy leads to anger, and then anger in this case leads to the attempted murder of David over and over and over again. Uh, what I want us to see, okay, Saul is opposing David. Here's the madness. But in reality, Saul is opposing God. The single greatest reason Saul wanted to kill David is because God was with him. See, if Saul had any wisdom in this moment, if he had any wisdom at all, he would understand, do I want my life to be known as someone who was tempting to, with every minute I had, to kill a person that God Almighty was so powerfully working within? Is that really what Saul would want to do? If Saul had any moment of clarity, he would say, what am I doing? What am I doing? Just like Jonathan. Of course I want to support this. But Saul was mad. He was mad due to his jealousy and the corruption of his heart. Loved ones, when jealousy enters into our hearts, what's happening, we have to understand this, okay? When I'm jealous, what's happening is I'm saying, I am disagreeing with how God has blessed you and worked in your life. What I'm saying is I want what you have. I want who you, who you are. And so therefore I'm disagreeing with God's dealing with you in your life. God, you are unjust. God, you are unfair. God, you have not treated me the way I deserve. So really God, in my jealousy of person A, you, you are the one that I'm actually mad against. You are the one that I blame. Jealousy and envy is ultimately a sin against the Lord. You got to think about that as we're in the midst of it. You are accusing God of being unfair because he has dealt with you unkindly. The sovereign, perfect God of the universe, you are accusing of being unkind towards you because others have what you do not. And I wonder, do we really want to spend our lives too? And the worst scenarios are when God is clearly moving in someone and then that's what sparks our jealousy because you really want your life to be about opposing someone God is powerfully working with him. Is that ever going to be a good plan? Is that ever going to work out well? No, that will never, ever work out well. If unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. Number two, my jealousy is ultimately against God. Number three, my jealousy will cause me to do a few things. Number one, this, it will cause me to compare. 
My jealousy will cause me to compare. If thoughts of comparison are filling our minds, okay, loved ones, look here, look here, look here, look here, okay? If your life is filled with constant comparison of different people in different situations, if you find yourself just comparing all the time and all this, if we're filled with comparison of other people and jealousy and envy, that's a real sign that we have sickness in our soul. Like, it's not a question. That's just, a, if we find ourselves comparing all the time in all these different situations, that's revealing we are sick in our hearts. Our hearts are sick. Jesus, forgive us, please. Jesus, Jesus cleanse my heart. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I, I can't be this way. I, I don't want to be this way. The power and the danger of comparison. You know, I, so often in the mornings at our home, I'm sitting in my chair in my quiet time, and then often the girls, the Two young girls. I don't want to throw my children under the bus too much here, but they're young enough they probably won't remember, all right? So the, the girls get up, and what happens almost every single morning is they go get juice. And the older one is able to help the younger one with the juice right now, and I'm not going not gonna to name names entirely here, all right? But uh, when the juice gets poured, it's amazing as I sit in my chair and I watch this event happen virtually every morning. As the juice gets poured, there's one particular girl in our family who is absolutely policing the entire process to make sure that her juice cup is not one fraction of a millimeter lower than her other sister. And the eyes go like this. It's like this, it's this. And they literally together, they are making sure that justice is served on the juice that is handed out. And I'm watching there. I'm just like, man, look at these hearts of jealousy and envy and comparison. And I say to myself, I'm so glad we're not like that. Can you think of all the juice cups in your life? I mean, really, loving. ones, just think about it. Think about how much we look. And in our lives, we're, we're like, how come she is? How come she gets that? How come she wears that? Julie, how come he drives that car? How come they live in the neighborhood? How come he gets to serve in the church that way? How come they're elevated this way? How come I don't have this? How do, compare, 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 compare. Death to your soul. Corruption of your heart. It'll bring it down every single time. We compare cars, clothes, children, careers, churches, checkbooks, contacts, and those are just words that start with C. You know, in our whole social environment of liking, I like you, you like me, please like me. I'm not gonna like you. I compare myself with you and I wanna like you. I'm gonna... I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna support you in here. What is that? It's, our society is feeding into our flesh of envy, jealousy, and comparison every single day of our lives. You, you have to be wise. You gotta be wise to see what's going on. Like they're feeding on us to take advantage of the flesh that wants to succumb to the power of comparison and jealousy and envy. Think of how much society is being just, just eroded in the pursuit of self and, and elevating myself over other people. And the more you think about it, you're like, oh God. Please, Lord, apply the gospel to my life again right now. My jealousy will cause me to compare. My jealousy will cause me to complain, to complain. You think of um, Saul, right? Comparison everywhere. God's with David, not with me. Uh, ten thousands and thousands, and he's and then and then the complaining, the complaining that's happening here. You know, it's amazing. Saul's response is the exact opposite of Jonathan's. Saul's response is the exact opposite of John the Baptist's response to Jesus. John the Baptist, man, he was the man of the hour. He's there, right? Jesus comes in, and John the Baptist is like, "There's Jesus. I can become less. He becomes more. Awesome. Spirit of God." Jonathan, here, David. I become less. David becomes more. Saul's like, "Here comes David. I must kill him." 
You know what envy is? Envy is the thankless life. That's why envy is such a problem in our lives because we're filled with jealousy and envy. We're not grateful. We're ungrateful. We complain. That's a massive problem. We are thankless. One of the signs we are filled with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 5, is that we are filled with gratitude. One of the signs we're not filled with the Spirit of God, obviously jealousy, envy, and we have no thankfulness within our lives. I, I really commend to you the process on an ongoing basis of today uh, starting and saying out loud in your life, God, I'm thankful for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. I mean, try to, I mean, just go as long as you start with the gospel. If you're saved in Jesus Christ right now, um, you can start there and you can watch your mind start to change and your heart start to turn to that. God, I'm thank you that I'm saved. God, I'm thank you that I'm not going to hell. God, I thank you that you have chosen me. I'm thankful that you have redeemed me despite my, just, just, just start going. Forget all the you know, extras in life. Forget what you want in your house. Forget all, just, just start with the gospel. And just see if you start to get warm in your heart. It's amazing, you're focused on Christ, what he's done for you, all of a sudden, the people you're so jealous of, they just don't really seem to be in the picture anymore. Amen, brother, amen. <laughs> and this is what happens. But my jealousy will cause me to complain. And then lastly here, my jealousy will cause me to hate. It will cause me to, to hate. You know, for the next entire seasons of Saul's life, basically from now until when Saul dies, all he wanted to do was kill David. His whole life, like ambition, was to kill the man that God was working within. So Saul threw spears, verse 11. Saul sent David into battle in the hopes he would die, verse 25. Saul was his outright enemy, it says in verse 29. This is the destruction of jealousy. You know, you consider Jonathan's heart with Saul's heart. Can you see the inherent difference? One set of eyes on the Lord, the other set of eyes set on self. Again, loved ones, uh, wisdom is calling. The phone's for you. It's wisdom, okay? The phone's for you right now. It's wisdom. And you're like, hello? And wisdom says, listen, you don't want your life at the end of your one chance at this thing to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of why you spent the majority of your time being jealous of other people around you. The phone's for you. It's wisdom. Don't be that woman. Don't be that man. At the end of it all, you stand before God and he's like, man, I gave you some gifts. I gave you lots of time. I gave you opportunity, man. I, I gave you a sweet church to be involved. I gave you that. I gave that I gave. And can you explain to me why you spent the majority of your time concentrating what other people had that you didn't and filled with envy and jealousy? Please, Lord, not me. Please, please, God, not me. Please, Lord, no. What a disaster. What a train wreck. I want you to see if there hasn't been enough conviction today. I just want to allow you to see one piece of God's word right here. James chapter three, I want you to see this. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Ready, ready? Okay, so bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in our hearts. This isn't the wisdom that comes from above. Ready? It is earthly. It is unspiritual hello, is demonic. So somehow we begin to convince ourselves that jealousy and envy, ah, it's okay, it won't be that bad. Well, what the God, God's word wants to tell you today, actually, no, this is, this is Satan working through you. This is, this is demonic activity within our lives. Why? For wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
Isn't that so true? You think of the marriage filled with jealousy and selfish ambition. You think of the, the home. You think of the church leadership. You think of the church in general. You just think of the, of the workplace filled with jealousy and it never goes well, ever. Disorder and every vile practice. So we're learning here from a couple of different angles in David's life. Success is gonna be my greatest test. Also, success could provoke my greatest opposition, Saul's jealousy towards David, and we don't wanna be Saul. But then thirdly this, I want you to see this, and we'll end with this, obviously. True success, if you really wanna be successful in the Lord, loved ones, true success will require my greatest humiliation. If you really wanna be successful in the Lord, it will require you and me to be utterly humiliated um, on an ongoing basis. The truth I wanna point out here, I want you to see how much David lost due to his success. It almost seems like an oxymoron. What do you mean? Like David's success in the Lord caused him to lose? It did, it really did. The ways of God are not the ways of man. And sometimes what we deem as losing in the temporary, God will prove in the long term. Uh, it's actually winning, but just, just notice this. Probably many of you have not seen this before. So in chapter 19, David loses four main things because God is at work within his life. Uh, number one, David loses his favor. He loses his favor, the favor of man. Look at verse, nine, or verse one of chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Okay, so what had David done so far? Here's what David has done so far. Everything God wanted him to do and everything Saul wanted him to do, yet within this, he is now a target of death. Why? Because he was successful in the Lord. He did not lose God's favor, but he lost the favor of man in this case and the, and the case of Saul. He lost favor. Number two, David loses his job. Verse 10, chapter 19. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Let's just say this, David was not returning to work the next day, all right? So David is being used of the Lord, but now he's ducking spears. Have you ever had to duck spears? I can remember specific times in my life in ministry where I felt I was ducking spears for reasons I could not understand in the moment. You kind of look back now and you're like, you know, loved ones, here's some good application. Be a spear ducker, don't be a spear chucker, all right? <laughs> because those who chuck spears are the fruit of jealousy and envy. Notice when the, when the, when the spear goes to the wall, David could have took the spear. This is the, here's David. He, he could have taken the spear to the wall and said, okay, okay, Saul, here we go, man. And just like his temptation with his brother Eliab, because I'm, I'm sick of you, man. I know I'm gonna be king. Taking uh, his own will in his own hands and throwing it back at Saul, he probably wouldn't have missed. Could have killed him right there. But David doesn't. David, again, overcomes evil with good again. Isn't it interesting? Now, here's, here's one way we know we're growing in wisdom and maturity. I mean, I just like, you will be tempted every day to have many spears in your hand and to throw them. I mean, so many situations. Sadly, marriage itself presents us with many temptations to have spears and throw and not to mention every other relationship we've ever had. Here's wisdom, okay? When you grab a spear and you're about to throw it at someone, when you know you're going wisdom, you're going to throw it and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit goes, stop, 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 stop. And the Holy Spirit says, if you throw that spear, you will lose. You're like, no, no, I feel like I'm going to win. I really want to hurt that person. My flesh is like really raging right now. It's going to feel good. I want to kill that person. And you can throw that. I promise you, child, you will lose. Or you can drop the spear and you can choose to win. You're like, why? Because this is the will of God. 
The will of God is to love our enemies. The will of God is to be men and women of love, the, the ways of Jesus Christ. It's amazing though, okay, this is when you know you're not smart in the Lord. You're throwing spears all the time. You don't even know you are. You're just chucking them all over the place, man. People getting obliterated all in front of you. But when you're growing in wisdom, the Holy Spirit says, stop. And you have the awareness and the sensitivity to the Lord. And here again, this is the power of life so much. You have the spear. You know you have the spear. You're about to throw the spear and you make the choice right there. Am I choosing to willfully sin now or will I choose to obey the Lord and be an agent of grace, not an agent of hate? So much of life is lived there. You will have multiple opportunities today to do that. The more you're growing in Christ, the Holy Spirit like, shh, 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 shh. And you'll say, see, you're just, it's just, it's wisdom, love. I'm so big on wisdom because it's just life. It's just, okay, okay, so, so I can lose by throwing it. I can win by dropping it. It never changes. It, there's never any other situation or conclusion or result. I want to win. Don't you want to win? It's just wisdom. It's truth. David lost his favor. David lost his job. David lost his wife. You're like, what? Verse 12. So Michal or Michael, depending on how you want to pronounce that, let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. In chapter 18, Saul gave his daughter Michal to David. But again, the only reason he did that, he wanted to kill David by using her. He's like, you want my, you want my daughter? Go out and bring back uh, 100 Philistine foreskins. Kill 100 Philistines. David comes back to 200 and Saul's like, man, I can't kill this guy. And he goes out and kills 200 guys, whatever. So he gets his daughter, Michal, but now they're living at home together. And then he sends soldiers to David's house to kill him. David's wife, Michal, helps him escape, lowers him down. And then from what I can understand from this point on, they would never be together in the same way again. And Michal would have her own issues later on in 2 Samuel, but he lost his wife. Why? Because he was successful in the Lord. Lost favor, lost his job, lost his wife. And then fourthly this, he lost his security. He lost his security. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. This begins the process of David continually running for his life, okay? Think about it. One day shepherd's field, the next day the palace, and the next day now running for his life. And the only reason if you're David that you can attribute these events in your life is that the Lord is with me. That's where we scratch our heads. We're like, how does that make sense? Two things I want you to see here in the lesson I think is so profound. You have the jealousy of Saul under the sovereignty of God. I believe what's happening to David right here, which would continue on for an extended season of his life and be one of the hardest trials he went through. I believe as a mentor taught me a little while ago, said, Robbie, I believe this is a form of severe, God's severe mercy on your life. God at times will allow us to go through what is his mercy, but in a severe form at the end of the day to protect us from ourselves. How much longer could David take? 10,000s, 10,000s, David's the best. David's the, David. How much longer could he take it until his heart fell to the pressure of his success? I think God in his grace and mercy, he allows the opposition to come from Saul. This sends David running in complete desperation. This next season of his life, David would write some of the greatest Psalms ever recorded that we are now benefiting from 3,000 years later. He would be formed into the greatest king Israel ever had. It's the moments of the severe mercy of God and the tremendous trial and temptation and testing upon David's life that would break him and crush him and mold him that God could use him. That is the severe mercy 
mercy of God. We look at it, God, get me out of this. I hate it. But God's like, but you will see my child. In the end, you will thank me for it because it is my grace forming in you, my character being used through you, and my glory will come from you as you allow yourself to surrender in the midst of the severe mercy that I'm allowing you to. So I think in God's perfect wisdom, this was God loving David and protecting him. There's a principle of truth that I've kind of been forming over here in the last a few weeks that has meant so much to me as much as this week. And here's the principle of truth. It's right here. It says this. God will often withhold what we want in order to produce in us what we need. You got to think there's many times David like, I want out of this. I don't want to be, I don't want someone killing me every day of my life. Can I just have a moment of peace? God, can I, can I, can I get back to the palace? Can I, can I just be the king that's kind of in a, a place of serenity and quiet? I mean, sure, David wanted, 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 wanted. And these weren't bad wants. But God will often withhold what we want because in his wisdom, he wants to produce in us what we, what we need. You know, my own version of this, and I'm in a season of my life in the last eight, nine, 10 weeks where, and I, I don't, I don't consider, I think your trials are probably way more significant than mine, but I have gone through a season with my life where I just frankly, physically, in other ways, did not feel I could do what I'm called to do. And I never felt that weak over that uh, long a period of time. Um, many, many times saying, Lord, like in tears by myself, I can't do this in tears. I can't do that. I cannot keep doing this, God. You need to help me. Just feel normal. I'm not actually saying you'd be top of the mountain. Just, just help me feel normal. But it didn't happen. And then process after process and week after week and even just this week and sitting there and at my study desk and looking at David's example in his life and just saying, wow, I really wanted a lot of things in the last eight to 10 weeks. I really wanted, which I think were fine desires. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think they were sinful. But I look back and I'm like, wow, Lord, you didn't give me what I wanted, but you did produce in me. See, when you look back and you see, man, like what happens in those moments? All of a sudden, things get stripped down to a very pure level. And all of a sudden, the things that maybe distracted you, they're not really in the forefront now. And all of a sudden, in your desperation, all you want is the strength to face the day. And so you look back and you're like, wow, Lord, if I was in charge, things would be a lot different. But if I was in charge, I would be a lot worse off. It's hard to get to that point, but when you do get there and you can look back, you can say, Lord, you are good. And you maybe protect me from myself by not giving me what I want to produce in me what I need. This is what's happening to David. If you, I want to be used. I want to be used. I want to, do you really want to be used in the Lord? If you really want to be used in the Lord, you better get ready to get crushed. You really want to be, you better get ready to be humiliated. If you don't want the hard road, man, just don't, don't count on being used by God. There is no person in the history of the world that has been exempt from these principles. This is why A.W. Tozer said, before God is going to use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. And this is what David is going through. And this is what you and I are going to go through. You think of the success versus the humiliation. Is there any greater example of the greatest success and greater humiliation than our savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ ultimately achieved the greatest success of dying for our sins and ultimately suffered the greatest humiliation of being humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is why God has therefore highly exalted him and given him the name above all names. Jesus Christ died, loved ones, that we might be saved. 
Are we not now called? Jesus was tested, viciously opposed, and utterly humiliated. We are now not tested, opposed to save ourselves, but we now follow in the pattern of the one who set us free and saved us, that we may now choose to die to self, that we may now live for him. This is the power of the gospel in our lives, and this is ultimately the life that David was pointing to, and this is where we are today. God, in light of Jesus Christ, allow us to choose to become less, that you might become more in and through our lives. Because at the end of the day, we're not living for now. We're living for what will be. Loved ones, this is not, this is not a message for the faint of heart. This is not a message for the habitually immature but this is a message and principle for those who are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ and desiring to be used of him, but knowing what it's going to cost them that he might truly get glory. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these free resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. If you'd like to get a copy of the entire series, make sure you phone us at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.